The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts Chuck Morin and Sam Stone. Our first guest up today, friend of the program. I think he's been on on with us, Chuck, more than anyone else. He's a fan favorite. And he's always a fantastic interview. Welcome to Henry Olson, Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Henry, thank you so much for joining us once again. Well, thank you for having me back again. Um, First of all, before I get into my original question, the House expelled George Santos by an overwhelming majority. What does this mean for Congress? Well, um, I think it means in the short term, Republicans are down one and they'll likely lose the special election, If particularly if the Democrats, as expected, pick the former representative for that area, uh, Tom Swazi, as their candidate. Um, so that is a slightly harder road, road for the Speaker to hoe. Um, in the long term, I think it's a dangerous precedent that they've set, which is it used to be until today, that you had to either be convicted of a crime in a court or you had to be a member of the Confederacy who literally took up arms against the United States. And today, now we've wrote, lowered the level for expulsion down to credible and serious charges. Um, given what we've seen in our politics in the last three decades, don't be surprised if we try to define that level down more in the future, and that means more, not less, acrimony between the two parties. I think this is what Speaker Johnson, why he voted against it today for this exact this exact reason. He just said we're setting a bad precedent here. Um, sadly, the one who gave the best speech about it was Gates out of Florida, and no one trusts anything Gates says, so that has no resonation with people. But I, I almost feel like Republicans, too, there's a part of them that want to show – we're an ethical party because of everything Donald Trump's going through. So we're sort of like, well, look what we've done. Would you think that may be part of the equation for some of them? Yeah, I do think it's part of the equation. Look, the, the fact is that, well, Santos hasn't been convicted. He has been charged of a lot of stuff. Yes. And you look at the stuff that has been reported, he doesn't really come out with credible arguments. You know, like a lot of times defendants in criminal cases will say, well, X, you know, uh, and they offer exculpating, exculpating facts or why, and they talk about interpretation of law, and you may buy it or you may not, but it's not incredible. But here, the guy just doesn't have serious legal or factual arguments to say why these things aren't true. So I think that's one reason why it was so easy for his, so many of his colleagues to join with the Democrats. But again, I do think that we have set a new standard and uh, it's lower than the one before and given what our acrimony is i think we should expect people to try and lower it further and that's a problem well my mom used to say when there was somebody she didn't like she would say well i don't want to go bowling with them and i think part of its problem too is no one want to go bowling with george santos so you know when you don't have people like you to begin with and then all these other factors it, it plays a role um you have a great new podcast called beyond the polls an election podcast with henry olson and your recent one this week you talked about something that most Americans are not paying attention to and probably most of D.C. is not paying attention to, the election upheavals in Argentina and the Netherlands. And I think people think Donald Trump and the populist movement in the United States is a unique United States unique movement. It is not. It is happening worldwide. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what's happened and what does this mean for Donald Trump? Yeah, well, what has happened very quickly is that Argentina has – elected a out-and-out libertarian. I mean, a lot of times the phrase libertarian is thrown around to mean somebody who likes free markets or somebody who might have picked up the book of Ayn Rand when they were 16. (laughs) No, no, this guy named his dog after the anarcho-capitalist Murray Rothbard. Okay, he's the real deal. Um, And not only did they elect him, they elected him with the biggest margin since the return to democracy in 1983 by somebody who wasn't a member of the Peronist Party. In other words, it's an earthquake. Um, and then you get to the Netherlands, where this guy named Gert Wilders uh, split off about 18, 19 years ago from the established party. 
and has been basically the bad boy of Dutch politics. He is somebody who rails against immigration and has talked about mosques being illegal. And he's been under he literally lives in a safe house under Dutch state protection because I mean, he straight up said that that the Muslim population they've allowed in should be expelled regardless of status. Just gone. Yeah, um, like I said, the guy's out there, okay? <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. He's... And his party, uh, of which he organized so that he is literally the only member, uh, <laughs> just just won almost a quarter of the vote and finished first, and not by a close margin. Um, so what you've got is people in Argentina, which is suffering from massive hyperinflation again, and the Netherlands, which is a pretty stable, prosperous country with a different set of problems, both decided to put uh, put uh, the middle finger to the establishment and pick the most outside possible person to win the election. And that's what's going on all around the world. And that is an indication that, look, no matter what the media and the polite people in the United States say about Donald Trump, the people who don't hate him don't care. And the fact is that for a lot of those people, the fact that he is hated actually is credibility enhancing because it proves to them that he's really the person who can fight their fight against an elite set of elites that these people believe uh, despise them and reject them. Well, it's not just these two countries. So I just saw polling that shows Marine Le Pen is now more popular in France than Emmanuel Macron. And then you look at what happened in Ireland. This is there is a real uh, sentiment of dissatisfaction among Western countries with this mass immigration that's been forced down their throats. Well, and it's not just mass immigration is often the thing that sets it off, but it's economic stagnation, it's cultural rejection, it's um, condescension. Uh, there is. Is there an overriding sense? I mean, I I get the overriding sense, Henry, that a lot of people in Western populations just look at our leadership and and say, these people hate us all. Pretty much, yeah. uh, uh, There are very few countries where you don't see that. The next country to watch is Portugal. Portugal is going to have snap elections in March, and they've got a populist party. It's called Chega. Chega is Portuguese for enough. Um, and a couple elections ago, they got 1% of the vote. Last election in 2022, they got 2%, uh, 7% of the vote. They're now up to 18% of the vote. They could very well be the leading non-leftist party in Portugal if their growth continues. And that would be yet another sea change, because this is not a country where the major issue is immigration. There, the issue is corruption, stagnation, uh, and, and uh, general disregard for uh, the average person. And it could very well be that Andres Ventura is the person who's in the driver's seat. Uh, it's likelier he'll finish second or third. But the fact is massive growth in Portugal, and that'll be the next earthquake that comes. I had an, uh, a person talking to me the other day who's been involved in politics for years. They're in their 70s now. They're part of the Reagan and Bush worlds and so forth. And they kept he asked me, why do you think these people are holding on to Donald Trump? And I said, I think it's one word, fear. They're so tired of being told that they're dumb. They're so tired of being told, just accept what you have. They're so tired of the holier-than-thou attitude that they're fearful that these people are going to come in and change their whole way of life, things that they've known. And as you're seeing this across the world, these populist moment, movements, how do you think this translates for Donald Trump here coming up in 2024? Well, I think it's an indication that he's in a very strong position because what we're seeing is that if you liked Donald Trump three or four years ago, you are almost certain to still like Donald Trump. And if you loved him, you still love him. So all of the attacks he's undergone has not dented his popularity. And then you've got the fact that people who look around and say, you know, we were willing to trust the elites, uh, which is Joe Biden. Um, he said he was going to unify the country. He's not. He said he was going to make things better. They aren't. And these people, the swing voters, are looking and saying, well, you know, Donald Trump doesn't look too bad. And that 
is blows the minds of people around here. But it blew the minds of people in Buenos Aires that right. probably are in L.A. And it blew the minds of people in Amsterdam of Garrett Builders. Yeah, you know, the thing is, at some point when your mind keeps getting blown, maybe you should reset your parameters <laughs> of your mind. You know, what do you if Donald Trump had not tried to overturn the 2020 election or dispute it, we'll use semantics here, okay? If he had not tried to, you don't have January 6th, you don't have faked electors. How much is Donald Trump leading Joe Biden today if he had not done those things? Um, a couple more points. You know, the thing is, we are so partisan. I don't think that there would be a huge, huge shift, but I think he would be leading by a couple more points. He'd probably have the, he'd probably have independent 60-40, right? Yeah, exactly, yes. Uh, the, the thing is that fundamentally, it, in the last 40 or so years, 50 years, uh, a president gets within 1% of their final job approval rating. So if they're 42% on election day, they'll get 43. Um, Joe Biden is under 41. Joe Biden is three, his job approval is three points worse than Donald Trump's was at this point in Trump's presidency. And this is when the first impeachment was coming up. So Joe Biden is less popular than Donald Trump during his first impeachment trial. Let that sink in. Well, it, and it was when every media outlet in the country was screaming about uh, Trump killing everybody's grandma with COVID. Well, that comes up in a couple of months. <laughs> you know? But the thing is, Trump Trump's popularity generally held up even during COVID compared to where he was. You know, that initially he had, as many leaders did, a slight bump. Uh, and then his shambolic or rambolic um, daily press briefing started to drive him down. So he didn't get the COVID bump that other people got. But he was still most of the year, 43, 44, 42 percent. And Biden is below that. So Biden is worse than than Trump and has been for a number of months. We have just one minute before we go to break here. Henry, uh, I know Chuck mentioned your podcast. How do folks follow the, along with that, and how do they, they find your podcast and make sure they're subscribed and listening? Yeah, well, the podcast can be found on most uh, normal platforms. Uh, it's being produced by Ricochet. So you can go on the Ricochet platform and download it. You can find it at the Apple. Oh, I, uh, did, I didn't know you'd partnered with John Gabriel, John Gabriel and Ricochet, right? Um, I talked to Charlie Cook, who bought out Ricochet. But gotcha. yes, uh, they're the producers of it. So you can go to Ricochet, you can go to Apple. That's usually where I get my podcast from. I'm sure there are other platforms. They've tried to put it on all the major platforms. Perfect. We'll be back with more from Henry Olson in just a moment. Breaking Battlegrounds, coming right back. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Folks, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. You've been hearing us talk for over a year now about why refi. If you haven't gone on their website and checked them out, you are just making a huge mistake. A 10.25%, up to 10.25% fixed rate of return in this stock market is the security you and your family need. We highly encourage you to check them out and invest yrefi.com. That's invest the letter Y, then refy.com. And the best part about this deal is you're actually helping people get out from under their student debt while you're making money. It is a fantastic opportunity to do well by doing good. So check them out again. The website is invest, then the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. All right, and we're back with Henry Olson. I'm a columnist for the Washington Post. Um, Henry, um, Nikki Haley, she seems to be the pundit's choice to talk about right now. They've been doing it for about a month now. She's up and coming. She's got you know, the Americans for Prosperity endorsement of money, which for those of us really in the political world realize that means nothing because it's highly overrated. 
But what do you think about this love affair anti-Trumpers DC establishment are having about Nikki Haley? You know, I just think it's another example of elites who refuse to look at their own country. I have nothing against Nikki Haley. I think she could be a very good president. Right. I think uh, she has shown enormous political skills, and I absolutely love her political ambition. But the fact is, what she's doing is consolidating the third or so of the Republican uh, voter base who either never liked or has moved on from Trump. And the fact is, you know, wait for it. It's a third of the voter base. You know, there's a reason that she gets pasted one-on-one with Trump, and that's because, you know, 60 percent to two-thirds of the Republican primary electorate like MAGA. And it doesn't matter how much money she's got. It doesn't matter whether Jamie Dimon sends her love notes from uh, <laughs> Wall Street or whether Charles Koch pines for her in the, you know, his secret lair in Wichita or wherever it is he runs AFP from. Uh, you know, the, the fact is money doesn't trump message, and her message is not a majority-making message in the GOP electorate. No. Yeah. One thing we keep seeing over and over is for all these years, the GOP, for lack of a better word, establishment or traditional Republicans have had a majority in primaries. And that's just no longer the case with the Trump base who outweighs them in all these primaries very significantly. And they clearly have not adapted. Uh, Henry, did you have a chance to watch the Newsom-DeSantis showdown last night? Well, it's 90 minutes of my life. I'll never get back. (laughs) What were your takeaways? Because obviously I I find myself at times even in a conservative news bubble and everyone's going, DeSantis wiped the floor with Newsom. What was your impression watching it? You know, my impression is that um, it was not uh, a wipeout. Um, Now, it it depends. Certainly – if you go in and you are somebody who really does not like Democrats and you watch Ron DeSantis, you would say he did a fine job. But to me, what I was looking for was how will the how, how did these people profile if they actually were the general election candidate? And what I saw was DeSantis not uh, effectively debating Newsom as Newsom was uh, adopting the uh, strategy of being bold, obnoxious, and uh, distractionary. Uh, and that's a problem. Uh, he, he wasn't nimble on his feet to be able to turn and make Newsom's misbehavior effectively an issue in the debate. Correct. Uh, and Newsom, I think, got worse as the night went on, yes. maybe because he felt he was overconfident. Uh, but uh, the fact is, Newsom decided, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to be completely slavish to the Democratic line. I'm going to be attack, attack, attack. And I'm actually not going to defend California. And he had a smarminess that came through more in the last half hour to 45 minutes than the first 45 minutes. But what he does show is that he's glib. He looks good on camera. Yes. And he knows how to execute a game plan. Um doesn't mean that he's the 1927 Yankees, but it means this guy's a dangerous competitor if you're a Republican. You know, wake up, smell the coffee, uh, and don't read your own talking well, points. I think I'll, it was much more of a draw than most Republicans did. Yeah, it didn't switch any independence. I do. The one thing that really stuck out to me is facts do not mean anything to Newsom. That's the one thing that really stuck out to me. He'll say anything. I mean, he really will. I mean, that really stood out to me. I, I was listening to it. Well, Sam and that, I were. That's the Democrat playbook overall. Right, but right he's now. he's but king of he, that. Yeah. Sam, I was leaving an event last night with Sam. We were at, and I was listening to radio, and I got home and just turned it off. And then I watched it this morning. I mean, it was just it was just too much for me. And I, I wish DeSantis had taken a different approach, saying, "Here's the way things we did it in Florida, and here's why we did it, and here are the results." Yeah, I think well, that, that would have been I mean, a, that would have been a home run for him last night. And that's part of what I mean about the inability to uh, shift game plan is that he had a game plan. He stuck to it, but it actually didn't meet the enemy that he saw. Right. And if you're going to be in this, what you have to be able to do is be good enough to be flexible. So when you say, hey, wait a minute, he's not going to play by the rules. And Sean Hannity is not going to be a referee that says when you hit below the belt or you hit out after the bell rings that you're going to get penalized, then you have to adapt to it. And he did not adapt to it very well. And there were time and again when he could have simply said, 
you know, calm down a little bit, simply said, you know, uh, the Reagan line, there you go again, you know, uh, rather than hyping up. And also just say, you know, for all of you independents out there, just note he didn't answer the question. Well, yeah. He was asked, why is your crime this high? And he didn't answer the question. He was asked, why is your gas so high? Do you, you know, and the thing is that inability to talk to people who are not already in your corner was another problem. And it may just be that DeSantis' whole strategy is I'm only going to talk to people in my corner. I'm not interested in talking to independents. But the fact is independents are watching now even if they're not paying attention, if you know what I mean. Right. And yeah. if you're only running one campaign, you can't suddenly switch in right. four months to run another Right. Well, so, well, you know, one thing that we, Sam and I have noticed on the show, we were talking about this a couple weeks ago. We have two minutes left here. Is We've had probably about 30 U.S. members of the House on, probably a half a dozen U.S. senators this year. And it's amazing how cautious they are. And I think this is hurting the, the political debate. People are not willing to go and articulate their views and give a reason for it. They want sound bites. The bet, we are, Sam and I are talking. The best one we've come across on the show was Senator Marsha Blackburn. She could easily, really? she could easily go between issues and talk about them and explain them. Yeah, by and, far. And it, it was really interesting to see. And, and I saw that last night with him because you're right. I think DeSantis had a real opportunity to say, look, we started this way in COVID. I followed the facts. This is what we did. Here are the results. This is why we did it. I, that would have been such mm-hmm. a whole different scenario for him last night at the end of the debate. I think you would probably had a lot of independence saying, okay, this is the guy we need. I just, I just need a reasonable leader now. So, yeah. um, and, uh, and that's actually a great point because I kept thinking people used to argue – Yes. I wrote a piece about the 1967 debate between Robert F. Kennedy and Ronald Reagan, where they had took questions from foreign students. It was CBS's way to show off that they could do live events across the Atlantic when that was a big thing. They argued. They made arguments instead of just turning back on talking points. And it's disturbing that neither DeSantis nor Newsom we're interested in making arguments. Yeah, no, that was that was clear, and and it was not the wipeout anyone hoped hoped for. Uh, folks, make sure you catch Henry's Henry's podcast Beyond the Polls with Henry Olson. You can get that wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Substack, Spotify, all the good stuff. Just like you can Breaking Battlegrounds, and we look forward to having Henry back again in the near future. Henry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me back. Breaking Battlegrounds will be right back with Noah Smith in the Washington Post. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Big thank you to Henry Olson, Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, for joining us for our first couple of segments. Now up, Noah Smith. Uh, he's a journalist for the Washington Post, focused on the business, political, and cultural implications of video games. Um and so kind of a different subject for today, Chuck, but one that I think if, if you're over 30 or 40 like we are, this may be flying a little under the radar how big video games have become, how culturally relevant they right. become, how much is going on in that world that most people don't know. So Noah Smith, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the program. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it, and uh, great to great to be joining. Let's start off with just how big has the video game business become because it it i think people don't understand how much reach it has in how many places 100 percent. so there's so many different ways to get into how big it's become uh, depending on what flavor appeals to somebody the most so we can talk you know money that's usually a, a good one uh so there we're talking uh i mean depending again how, how you calculate it some will say 50 billion some will say it's up past $100 billion in terms of uh, annual revenue around the world. Uh, importantly, that's going to include also mobile games, which is the biggest segment of games that people usually don't think about when we talk about video games. But so that would be one way to look at how big it's become. Another way to look at it would be um, looking at who is uh, you know, investing or otherwise playing in the space. You can look at uh, folks, you know, Michael Jordan has invested in different video, you know, into the video game industry in different ways, um, LeBron James, his son. Um, so, you know, from a, from a cultural touchstone standpoint uh you have all of that and then even getting into things like fashion you know some of these video game uh, what they're called video game orgs or video game organizations esports orgs esports organizations which are kind of like the easiest way to be like teams they're like the the teams in this mm-hmm. space for professionals um you know like their their gear their swag uh you know they'll do uh, what they call drops right where they like release a special version of it and those will sell out in, in hours so 
Um, you have all of those elements, and then you have even things like um, this is a little, getting a little bit older uh, in the space, so like maybe a few years ago, but uh, even like doing the dances that you see in certain games, so like Fortnite, you know, some of the animations people, you see kids doing that, you see professional athletes doing that. So, uh, so many different ways to measure it, but it's um, safe to say it's a, it's a pretty big deal these days. Let me ask you a question before we get started with a, a, a bunch of serious questions about video gaming and its and its power. How did you get into this specialty in journalism? I mean, what you know? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I know probably in college you didn't think like this is going to be my specialty and I'm going to do it for the Washington Post. I mean, how did you get into this? Did you fall into it by accident, or did some editor say, you know, this is an upcoming trend? We probably need to pay attention to it. How did it happen? Yeah, so I, I wish that there was some, like, great plan, and I, you know, you know, I, I saw this whole thing coming, you know, after my parents told me to stop playing video games so much with my brother every weekend and nights and everything like that, but no, it's, uh, it was a total fluke in a way. Um, I have a, a colleague, a dear friend, Rory Carroll, who is a, who is a still reporter um, for The Guardian, he got a pitch from some esports thing, he didn't know, you know, he couldn't do it, gave it to me, I didn't, to be honest with you, I didn't really know 100% what it was kind of pitched it to my editor at the Post. Uh, they had passed it along to uh, Mike Hume, uh, and Mike Hume had the vision and the, the insight to say, hey, this is actually a pretty big deal. It turned out to be the launch of uh, the Overwatch League, which was which is uh, one of these pro okay. leagues. Uh, uh, Robert Kraft, the, the owner of the Patriots, was a major investor into that, um, and uh, just basically wrote a story on that, ended up on A1 front page Washington Post, and the rest, uh, I wish I could say, you know, happy love, happily ever after. It was quite a struggle to get more coverage on it, but one of the things that fell into place, you know, where um, it's just you have this confluence of uh, social, cultural, even political, uh, especially political, you know, uh, things like that, uh, political implications. And so, yeah, just more and more coverage. And that's kind of how we've arrived here. How, how much money can someone make in these esports leagues? Um, more than Tom Brady annually during his last year in the NFL. How many people make that much money in those leagues? Hmm. Oh, in the, okay, so in the leagues themselves, uh, there's two things. So there's like the leagues, uh, Overwatch League called Duty League. Uh, there's something called League of Legends. Um, so in those leagues, uh, it, it's going to be more capped. That's going to be um, generally in the, say, depending on where it is, like upper, like, I forgot the minimum, but the minimum was pretty good, like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars and then the other ones will be like low six figures, and then like the stars will make uh, seven figures, but then the real money comes in through um, – Exclusive, it came in through exclusivity deals on platforms like Twitch, um, and that's where the really big money came in. That kind of has gone away at the moment because there's no competition for Twitch, um, but then sponsorship deals. So, um, you know, you, you get a lot of people who just generate a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs, and then, you know, advertisers want to put their money through them so that they can uh, speak to audiences. So it's not many uh, who, who reach the, the Tom Brady numbers, probably like a handful, if that. But um, Not many in the NFL either. Yeah. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's amazing. We've got just about 30 seconds, and then we're going to break. We're going to be coming back right after that with more from Noah Smith of The Washington Post. Uh, This is a fascinating discussion, Noah, because, um, I mean, I grew up playing video games, but it was before this era of commercialization, and it's amazing how much it's exploded. And I'm very much looking forward to continuing to explore that and some of the security and other implications that are coming up. 100%. So that's coming up after the break, folks. Make sure you stay tuned. Breaking Battlegrounds coming right back. At Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Folks, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. You've been hearing us talk about why refi for a long time now. And I'm almost getting tired of repeating this to you. You have to go to this website and check them out. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, because they are just, they have a fantastic opportunity for you to make a really good return up to 10.25% fixed rate of return. If you need your money back at any time, there's no attack on your principal. You can choose to compound it. You can choose to take your, your earnings each month. It is the most flexible opportunity out there. 
and it is a great chance to do well while you're doing good. Uh, you know, you make money, and you're actually helping people get out from under their student loan debt. So help, help these folks out, and help yourself out. Go to invest the letter Y then refy.com and check them out, or give them a call at eight 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 Y refi twenty four and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. We're with Noah Smith of the Washington Post. So, Noah, there was a survey done last year of 1,128 gamers in the U.S., United Kingdom, France, Germany, and Korea that found 51% reported encountering some form of extremist statement or narratives on video games. And they said those under 18 were likely to encounter statements promoting genocide, political violence, etc. Is this becoming a real big problem on video games? So the 51%, I'm, I'm actually shocked to hear that. I, I would expect it to be much higher. Um, so it, it, basically, it's not a new problem. It's an ongoing problem, and it's a serious problem, and it comes in different versions, I would say. So there's a version of, you know, say, you know, people getting ready to go into a, a game together. So there's some of these games, uh, just so everyone, all the listeners and everyone's on the same page, some of these games are, you know, you go online, uh, whether it's on a console like PlayStation or on your computer, and you can join other people um, and play games together, right? Like Call of Duty and right. multiplayer games. And so uh, you're you're matched with different folks, and that's an automatic thing that happens on these platforms. And while you're waiting to join those games with other people, people can just say, you know, a lot of times whatever they want. And then when you get into the games, you're on a team with people, and you can hear them, uh, they can hear you, and and people say things. And and so there's there's instances of people saying the kinds of things that that people are reporting. And uh, I would say, and I've reported on this, basically a, a total lack of responsiveness from both the platforms themselves and the video game publishers. So you have that, certainly, and that's, again, a multi-decade issue going back to the beginning of multiplayer games, online multiplayer games. And then you have um, uh, recruitment, which kind of gets into a different thing, but uh, that's absolutely taking place as well, as is documented across several academic studies and, and news media reports, where... Um, you know, that, that may be the start of it, is people saying something like uh, hateful and then maybe somebody responds to it in a positive way. And then, you know, you're, you're kind of off to the races. It's more complicated than that. But ultimately, the, the platforms and the games do become very fertile ground for recruitment and for um, uh, building, you know, hateful communities. How much, we, we had a guest on recently talking about uh, child sex exploitation and that there were a lot of forums where, you know, people were trying to reach out and recruit or groom these kids via these platforms. And there's been a case uh, fairly recently of the classified documents being shared on one of these type platforms. How much is this or should it be a concern to governments and to to society what's going on in, in all these various forums? Uh, I don't think it can be overstated how important it is because I think that what, what folks need to realize is that this is the major social platform for young people. This is the public square for them. And so all the things that we would be concerned about taking place outside of our front doors are taking place now here except with – you know, tremendous outsized reach, right? I mean, if you're just outside your doors, how many people are going to walk past you, you know, even in New York City, right? But here, you know, you're talking uh, millions, uh, tens of millions of, of players for some of these games, even more per month. And so um, having this be sort of, you know, now, I don't want to say it's unregulated. There's regulation and things that apply, certainly, but uh, it's very complicated. It's very difficult um, to get these video game companies, publishers, uh, and the platforms themselves, uh, again, the Playstations, the Microsofts of the world that, that make the video game consoles, people that make the games, um, to, to take serious action on it. Um, and, you know, I've even spoken to the heads of some of these platforms, and, you know, they've said, look, I, we don't want to be responsible for it. We don't want to be policing, uh, excuse me, uh, free speech, right? We're not the Supreme Court. Uh, but in the lack of other, you know, you know in the lack of the ambiguity, this is, this is what happens. And so, um, uh, to get back to the original question, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a huge problem, and it's I would say very importantly, uh, unlike the discussions that took place around video games, like when I was growing up with Columbine and blaming it for comp, blaming the, the content of the games themselves for violent acts, you know, which I think has been largely disproven. This is not that, to be very clear. This is people interacting with other people on a social platform that just happens to be. Uh, video games. And yeah. so I think that that distinction is, is important. I actually kind of got a little bit of an experience of that. So I do, I started during the pandemic uh, playing this game, True Number Operator, to improve my math skills. And there's a mm -hmm. Discord community attached to it. About half the people in that community are Russian. And so when mm -hmm. the Russia Ukraine war broke out, 
boy, that became a nasty community overnight. And then after about a, a month, we all had to agree that we just weren't going to touch on that subject and we were going to stick to math. But there, there's an exposure to this that even if video game companies were to step in, there are these third-party apps and, and you know gaming-related things like Discord that they then have a whole other frontier that they would have to try to monitor. Well, exactly right, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because Discord uh, and, you know, with, and of course, my reporting, I've spoken to leadership there. That, that, is a, that is, I would say, the major fora, forum for, for what we're talking about here. I mean, certainly you have... Twitch, certainly you have the games themselves, the in-game chats and, and things like that. But Discord is, I would say, that should be the biggest focus for whatever, you know, if there's going to be regulation or if, if parents are concerned about their children, that's what I would be concerned about because there you have these walled gardens, uh, what they're called, so you know, mm-hmm. private servers, and so people can get in there. And, uh, you know, I, Discord, I don't know, I'm not up on the exact latest of, of how they monitor, if they monitor what, what's going on in there, but it's certainly uh, – a an order of magnitude harder to, I think, to, to track that. And, um, uh, we, we, the country should be aware at the very minimum. And I think encouraging, um, lawmakers and other regulators to do more to, to be abreast of what's going on uh, in those discussions. Let's talk about this regarding national security. So earlier this year, you had the national guard airman, Jack, the 21 year old got kid that was sharing <laughs> classified documents with his online gaming community. Is this a real problem, or is this a one-and-done type deal? Actually, I just said something. I want to just be clear because it didn't come out exactly right. I'm not okay. saying that the government should eavesdrop yeah, right, 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 right. on the Discord conversations. I'm just saying that there should be clear uh, guidelines in terms of when we're talking about incitement or police speed, or, or especially towards minors, which is a major concern that I personally as a father have uh, when it becomes right. things. So I just wanted to clarify. No, thank but you. To, yeah, to your question, um, yeah, so uh, – Tashera is is one of several people who have posted uh, classified documents over the past, I think, two to three years um, to essentially uh, win an argument. <laughs> excuse me, uh, win an argument online, um, and or, or to, to sort of like bolster their status among their friends. Like, hey, I, you know, like look what I have, guys. You know, like uh, that that kind of deal. Not not to uh, degrade or um, uh, hurt uh, any particular nation, but we have him. And then there was a, a another game. Uh, uh, where where people were posting specs on tanks, like actual like uh, what would happen if you hit a tank here, or this is what a shell could do, or this is that, and the whole reason for that was because one guy was saying, well, this game is unrealistic because you know in real life the Challenger two tank wouldn't take damage like that if it got hit you know in this place, and someone was like, oh really? Well, look at this. According to the actual thing, it says that you know so, um, and that happened three times. Um, uh, in in a, a British tank shelter too, the Leclerc, uh, he's called in France, and then a, a Chinese shell. So um, I, I would yeah, ima- I mean that. Yeah, I, I would imagine military contractors actually have to watch out for this because my guess is young engineers that the types of they're getting who are generally digital, you know, digitally focused. I'm guessing there's a very high participation rate in these type of things. Yeah, well, I mean, you've nailed it. So the the specs, the the guide, what are they called? The manual operating manuals, whatever it is for these things, are, are classified. But certainly, you know, they're not just, for instance, like top secret eyes only. You know, something. Like that. I mean, they have to get distributed to for, for even to foreign countries that are going to operate these these tanks. So, yeah, I, I think that again, uh, I'm going back to the whole topic of this conversation is that just an awareness that this forum exists, right? That that video games that you know like Discord, that these places exist and that people might not be motivated in the same way as they have been in the past when it comes to leaking information, um, you know, not, for instance, to get money or to support a foreign enemy nation or something like that, but, I mean, literally just to win an argument <laughs> with a random person on the Internet. Like, that's sort of where we've arrived to. But it's just, you know, it hasn't damaged that we know national – I mean, the, the Tashara one is, is different, but, it, you know, I, I think there's still time to do things to sort of address this um, – before it, it escalates further, this this is this is fascinating to me, Chuck, because you don't hear this discussion at all. Um, we're with Noah Smith, of the Washington Post. Noah, if what would you what would you tell parents about their kids spending all the time on these video games? How would you monitor it, or what advice would you give? What do you parents? do for your own? Your yeah, own yeah, kid? yeah. Well, uh, my daughter is two and a half, so we try to just. <laughs> Keep her away from, from, from all of it. Uh, just even the phone, everything, as, as much as we can for as long as we can. 
Um, but uh, for parents with older kids, um, it's tough. It, it, I think that it falls in the same template as other other public forums and other ways that they prepare or educate their children of how to participate in public and really trying to hone in on the fact and really trying to have the kids understand that, you know, yes, they might be sitting at home, they might be sitting in their living room, they might, you know, be next to their parent, might be next to their family, be in a very comfortable, safe environment, but having them, you know, with an understanding that they are in a public, uh, largely unregulated space with strangers who they don't know who they are. So the same, you know, stranger danger going out, you know, to the park, don't, you know, just don't talk to random people, whatever it is, just to, to make sure that, the, that their kids understand that that's what is going on. And that's really hard to do. Um, I know even like my, my younger siblings, um, you know, it was, it was different for them than it, than it was for me because I sort of remember the world before all of this, before right. the internet, before. And, and so, but you know, when you grow up natively and I think it's really tough. And so um, I would just, I think that would be the central uh, piece of advice. I mean, as a parent of a two and a half year old, I, I'm certainly not giving advice to parents even of three year olds or even to <laughs> right, one year old. I'm right. not the person to give advice. But uh, I, I just think that that, that is the key. And, and really having an understanding of, of how big and how fast um, this this whole industry um, ultimately is. You, you know, when I was growing up, one of the things that you, you kind of got taught by both your parents in schools, there was sort of a book, if you will, for teaching your kids how not to basically get get killed in the real world. You know, look both ways when you're crossing the street, right. keep awareness yeah, of yeah. your surroundings. Do we need to develop that same sort of like, you know, book essentially, if you will, for, hey, kids, this is what you need to be watching out for when you're in any any online type forum? Yes. I think it's a million dollar idea. I might do it. I'll, I'll, I'll give credit if I do. You should uh, do it. Yeah, you no, should do it. Yeah. I'll, I'll buy it. It's, it's, yeah. A, yeah, it's a great for idea. Sure. You should do it. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think it's a tremendous idea. I, it's funny. Like I never thought I'd, you know, even like I don't know, three years ago, be on be on a show like advocating for for these things. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it is real. It's not like a shrill like pearl clutching like hey we need to be you know like it, it's a it's a it's a real threat. And obviously, look in context, I would say that you know most of the time you know on these when you're playing a video game, you're just playing a video game, and somebody might say something foul but you can mute them and and if you want to report them you can report them and and go on with your life and again it doesn't absolve the groups of responsibility to you know take care of these things but um i I think though that you know while that is true and while most of the time people are having fun which is why they're participating in in these games in in such high numbers um especially for younger kids and i think that i saw the figure 75 percent of of kids i think is under 18 years old play video games so three quarters and again i think that strikes me as low yeah, I was going to say so, that I've not met a kid who doesn't these days. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that, yes, absolutely, some some sort of basic rules of the road, so to speak, or some sort of basic awareness, some sort of basic understanding for, for kids that, like, hey, here's here's what you're doing, have fun, you know, whatever it is. But just understand that, again, this is a public forum. You don't know who you're talking to, and, you know, these are the risks. And, um, yeah, I, I think Absolutely. Noah, thank you so much for joining us today. Folks, uh, big thank you to Noah Smith of The Washington Post. This was a fascinating discussion, and I think we'd look forward to definitely having you back on again in the future. Absolutely. If you have things that you think people need to be aware of, please please let us know. We'd we'd love to get you back on. How do folks stay in touch with you and your work? So uh, a few different ways. uh, I'm not quite as active on Twitter or X or whatever they're calling it these days, but I'm on there. Twix. Yeah, Twix. Uh, V-I-L-D-E-H-A-Y-A at Vildahaya, and then also Washington Post, and then uh, I also work with a nonprofit called Direct Release, uh, doing some great work uh, in the U.S. and around the world, and so uh, also follow some of the stuff we're doing uh, on that website as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Noah Smith. Have a great weekend, Noah. Folks, stay tuned. We've got a great podcast segment for you. Also, Breaking Battlegrounds back on the air next week. Welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts, Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. want to give special thanks to Henry Olson, a longtime friend of the program, for joining us once again today, and Noah Smith of The Washington Post. Uh, really appreciate having him on to talk about something you don't hear on these kind of airwaves very often, about the intersection of video games, culture, and society. So good stuff there. Now we're going to go to, is it Sunshine? 
No, no, no. It's Kylie's corner, but Kylie's I'm thinking corner. it's Kipper Chipper Corner. Anyway, <laughs> Kipper Chipper Corner. Why don't we talk about our yeah, triple the, homicide the, today? The wood chipper corner. <laughs> Fargo. All right, let's well, go. Well, a little update on the Brian Koberger case oh, because they you. had they, they ruled out cameras, um, news cameras, but they're going to live stream the case. So oh, uh, this will be exciting. I can talk about it on we're very, Kipper's we're very, Corner. We're very excited about that. <laughs> yeah, so that was a new ruling that happened this week. So, so make sure we got to put that up on, on the Battlegrounds, uh, yeah, the, you know, all the social media, the links. Yeah. So and they I'll can... be here every Friday to give you the ins and outs of that. Okay. <laughs> but um, today I have a story out of Oklahoma for our Oklahoma listeners about a woman named Keegan Harrows. Um, she was a woman described as a, I'm putting air quotes because I don't know, but she was a highly sought after criminal defense attorney in Oklahoma City. Um, she was described to be Someone that believed in you even when you stumbled. Um, People give stories about how she came and cleaned their house. She was a client and she would come and clean their house just to help them kind of get back on their feet. Well, this was until she fell in love with one of her clients that she was representing on drug and firearm charges. Um, Then she started representing him on uh, domestic assault and battery charges against his ex-girlfriend who had a restraining order, etc. Right. So she's representing him. and one of the actions that she had asked was one of her other clients. She asked them to go into the ex-girlfriend's home and plant fake methamphetamine. Um, the client then reported that to either the cops or something. And they said, no, I'm like, whatever. They spoke to about it. Case was going to go on. That wasn't enough for Barry. Um, Barry wanted to make sure that she could not testify against him. And so Keegan and Barry, Barry is the client that she fell in love with, um, broke into the home of his ex-girlfriend and shot her and her parents because the parents were witnesses um, in a triple homicide. Jeez Louise. So now she is, her and Barry are being, uh, they're going on trial in 2024. They're going up against the death penalty for this triple homicide. They ain't going to hesitate to fry them. Yep. So basically they just said that they went um, to Keegan's home or Keegan's parents' house that day in Texas to try to say that that was their alibi was there at the home. But they had then broken to use three different firearms. It looks like Tiffany was like chased down in the home because she was shot from behind. And um, the mom was shot in a closet. And so they describe her as being she was hiding in the closet yeah, trying to save her traveling. life. Yeah. 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 And um, her sister said that even prior to this happening, Tiffany would sleep um, on the very top floor, far corner of the house because she was afraid someone was going to break in. And no matter how many times they called the authorities or um, like reported this stuff to the authorities. There was like really nothing to be done because the case was just basically waiting to go to trial. And um, so, yeah, now they're, you know, it, the tragedy of this is if you think, I think the last two prison breakouts have been assisted by a female guard yeah. or employee who fell in love with the prisoner and helped him with this. And they always, they, this never turns out well for them. Yeah. And she, her, one of her um, coworkers describes her the, as cherishing R two D two slippers and wearing funny T shirts to work. It's the worst outcome of the Florence Nightingale syndrome, right? That that they they're stepping in and trying to help. Yeah, and and you just they get caught up and then they end it up just, doing this. stuff. It goes stuff. beyond that. It's um, it's really remarkable. But you see this doesn't happen a lot but it's it's never you never hear of a man helping his female you know yeah. female prisoner to escape yeah, or anything it's like reversed that reversed and there's uh, there's something to it i am sure there is some psychological factors they all align well, with i think she did have like a little dark side because she did have a domestic assault charge against her ex-husband for kicking him in the face I, twice. I think anyone, <laughs> I think anyone who's a dedicated there's, criminal, there's a, there's a little edge there, little history there. <laughs> I got, I got to say, I, I met a bunch, and I got to tell you, I think almost every dedicated criminal defense attorney, like that's been their life. Mm-hmm. There is something dark inside of them because otherwise you're dealing with so many people you know are guilty of heinous they be, crimes. They become numb. Yeah. I, I I remember years ago I was in California. My dad knew a police officer in Oakland and he had been in some undercover group. And he said he's being transferred out. And my dad said, why? They said, you can't stay more than three years. You become a different person. Yeah. And I think it's a good lesson for all of us, whether it's our bubbles or the case may be. You need to take a look at your surroundings, what you're doing day in, day out. Because after a while, it seems normal, especially if you're doing something that's bad. 
Speaking of normal. <laughs> so, as, you know, as we all know, dear listeners, I'm subscription poor, so I have some English newspapers I subscribe to. And this was in today's Telegraph. Chuck, Chuck subscribes to literally everything on the planet, and he sends me these links, like 15 links a day that I can't access. I'm like, oh, okay. And, and I tell Sam stop being cheap. But here <laughs> yeah. it is in the Telegraph today. So, Britain's gas network has already hit full capacity as renewable energy fails to generate the power needed to heat UK homes. For those who don't know what UK is, it's called the United Kingdom. John Butterworth, chief executive of National Gas, said demand for gas-fired power stations would be maxed out from today, folks, it's December 1st, through the weekend. So when you ever hear this garbage that renewable energies can take care of us, they have Gretchen Ritmer, the governor of Michigan, who's basically going to have people freeze to death in four years. Yeah. You need to pay attention to this. Now, Sam and I have said this. Both you and I are like, look, we need to do everything in the book, throw everything at the wall for energy independence. And I, renewables are part of it. But you're not going to get rid of gas. You're not going to get rid of nuclear. You're well, not going to get rid of coal. And I, you're just crazy if you think that's going to happen. How do you think you get these electric cars charged? And I'm not against. I mean, this is the thing I think a lot of people don't understand. And I think if you broke down with most Republicans where they are on this, we're not opposed to renew- what no. people are calling renewable energy at all. What we're opposed to is destabilizing the grid and driving the price through the roof so that people can't afford yep. it or can't heat their homes. That may not work. John Butterworth said freezing temperatures mean energy demands have soared in recent days. Again, folks, it's December 1st today, okay? And he said they're having low wind output. So (laughs) if you're counting on wind farms, wind is important. Actually, so this is something from growing up in the the north. Um, Really cold days tend not to be super windy. Like really cold days tend yeah. not to be super windy because the air is so heavy. Right. It doesn't blow. It, yeah. So according to the National Gas and the National Grid in the U.K., the U.K. is reliant on gas for up to two-thirds of electricity. So that means this isn't even a majority. The, re- <laughs> the renewables aren't even a majority. It's a third. And it can't meet the needs of the people in the UK for a very cold weekend. I just want to be realistic about if you're trying to make this transfer, you have to have the ability to keep people's lights and their heat on. You cannot go down this road. You got to have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. Yeah. Will, Kipper Chipper Corner, anything else today? <laughs> no, I just, uh, I, I don't, do you know about the Young Thug case? No. Uh, so he's being charged for he's a rapper. He's oh, being, and he, and he did he did the abbreviation. For yeah, the, yeah, yeah, what's, yeah. It, what's the acronym he gave it? Um, yeah, I just want to talk about because it okay, it's funny. Okay, so okay. his his criminal defense attorney. Uh, so his name's in quote Young Thug, and he said that Thug stood for truly humbled under God, and um, he has a song called Push and P, um, which I he said stands for pushing positivity. However, if you listen to the song, <laughs> Push and P sounds. Sounds like what it is? Yep, sounds like what it is. Yeah. <laughs> but I, he's I, trying, everyone's like, he's trying anything to get this man off. And if he gets it off, he's going to be the new Rob Kardashian <laughs> for convincing these this trial. Well, Samuel, on that note. <laughs> that, that, that's the final word for today, Chuck. Let's just get out of here. Folks, have a great weekend. Visit us at BreakingBattlegrounds.vote or wherever you download your podcast or check our website, BreakingBattlegrounds.vote, and you can find out all the stations we are across the country, coast to coast. Have a great weekend.